Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. Good singing this morning. Appreciate so much the message of that song. That was my, one of my dad's favorite songs. We sang that at his funeral over a year ago, and it's a blessing to ponder those words and then strive to live them in our lives. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we are coming to the end of the section of Ephesians that deals with a believer's walk, the concluding section of the letter to the church at Ephesus deals with a believer's warfare. But I want us to consider this, and in our evening services, we've been looking at the lives of the 12 apostles, how Christ molded them. This evening, we're actually going to be looking at the life of Simon the Zealot, which I think is rather appropriate, just ahead of election day, that uh, we're dealing with an apostle who was known for his politics. But a couple of weeks ago, when we were looking at the life of Nathaniel, I mentioned a book, it was the book titled, The Day America Told the Truth, what people really believe about everything that really matters. Used it to reference the problem we have with integrity within our culture, but in that book, it also talked about, it asked people about their work ethic. And one of the things that they found was that um, when they asked about occupation, only one in four employees admitted to giving their best on the job. 20% of the average worker's time was actually wasted which is, in effect, a four-day work week. And the book was written 30 years ago. I wonder if things are better today in the workforce. You know, the numbers concerning overall job satisfaction are, are difficult to track, but it's interesting because in, in various studies, they found anywhere from 60 to 75% of people are, are satisfied with their job. Workplace relationships and conditions and, and the rec- conditions in the workplace have a lot to do with that. Uh, 98.3% of truck drivers in Mumbai, India, are dissatisfied with their jobs. Somehow I wonder why. <laughs> they said constant tension, tension between labor and management really hinders satisfaction. And they, as, as they tracked it, they said there are two key areas that really provide satisfaction or would play into that. Either the, the sufficient compensation or that the job has meaning. You know, some people find their identity in their job. That's where they go for identity. Others find work a necessary evil to pay their bills so they can get to the, what they really want to do and live for pleasure. One person put it this way, we worship our work We work at our play, and we play at our worship. So how does a Christian ethic come to bear in a situation like that and affect job satisfaction? Do we understand that as believers, God is seeking to do something through us and our occupation? Have you ever pondered, how can I glorify God in the workplace? You know, being a workaholic, worshiping work, or a hedonist, working at pleasure or an idolater, playing at worship, none of those please God. This final section of Ephesians that deals with the Christian's walk deals with this very aspect of really the work situation. Now, it's addressed here to servants and masters. 
But to take that application to us today, it would be employees and employers. And we've looked at how the first section of Ephesians talks about the work that God is doing. That the God the Father is doing something in this world that will display His glory, wisdom, grace, and power, not just in the world, but in the universe. Well, how is He doing that? By creating a new humanity. A, a new group, neither Jew nor Gentile, but one united body called the church, the bride of Christ, that, that is the temple of God where the Holy Spirit dwells. And the extent to which His glory will be displayed in the church and in Christ Jesus is to all generations forever and ever. So again, we're on the winning side. We get to be part of that. That's the first three chapters. Chapter four begins with the Christian's walk or how we live in the world. And, and we've considered this. It begins with how we, we live in the church, how we live in the world, and then walking by wisdom and under the control of the Holy Spirit. And the last section of chapter five brings us to what it means to be spirit-filled or spirit-controlled, which then applies to our everyday living, where the rubber meets the road in our marriages, in our parenting, and in the workplace. And what we see is that a spirit-filled person evidences it by their speech, in their attitude of thankfulness, and in a heart of submission. And it's important to understand that context to realize a couple of things. Number one, God is doing something bigger than just us. That we're part of a bigger program, a bigger plan. And number two, to realize that living in submission to God and God-ordained authority is part of God's design. And that a, the truth is that a submissive heart is evidenced by how we respond when we don't get our way. It's easy to think we're submissive when things go our way. How do we respond when they don't? So what I want us to consider this morning is this aspect of does your work, life at work confirm or contradict the gospel that we claim to believe? Or ultimately, are we living in such a way that it is evident that God is our work supervisor? That's what we're going to find in this passage. If you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 6, follow with me as I begin reading in verse 5. Ephesians 6 verse 5. Bond servants... Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. In these verses, what we're going to see is that as a Christian, you are to work in the awareness of God's gaze and that we do it for his glory. And I want us to cover several things here this morning. If you have your bulletins, you have the notes there. My staff is already concerned. Are we going to get through all of this? Because it goes on to two pages. Yes, I've actually put it there for a reason. Some of you fill up the other page with other notes. And I don't always put that in there. So I've put more of it in. Some of you just fill in the blanks. And some of you are like, the notes are in the bulletin. Yes. But as we go through this, I think it's important that, first of all, we have a biblical theology of work. The first thing I want us to understand is the biblical wisdom concerning work, and that number one in that is that your work matters to God. 
We see this in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, from Genesis 1-1 through Genesis 2-2, it introduces us to God the Creator. And really, that section contains God's work log. It's a record of the tasks that he performed. It's a chronological record of God's productivity. I know people that could put that into an Excel spreadsheet. He prioritized, he managed the job flow sequence, he completed his tasks, he met his deadlines, and he did it all under budget. I mean, when you read Genesis 1 into chapter 2, you find out God got a lot done in that first week. And in verse 2 of Genesis 2, it says, And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested. God worked. It says in John 5, 17, Jesus says, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. And I say that because our work matters to God. Adam was then placed in the garden with a responsibility to cultivate it. In verse 8, it says, The Lord God planted the garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he formed. And then in verse 15, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And and to tend and keep meant to work or labor, to nurture, to build up, cultivate, and then keep. He had a responsibility to guard, to protect, to to keep safe, to maintain. And, And I say this because I think it's instructive for us. For a couple of reasons. One, create, this is before the creation of woman and before the fall. That God assigned a task to the man. He had responsibility. As men, I think we have responsibilities to provide security and protection for our families, to provide spiritual and emotional support, to nurture and to protect. And so when we come to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, We are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. We are created for a vocation, not for vacation. And I know that flies in the face of our culture. But understanding that that God honors work. We're created for occupation, not for idleness. So do we understand what God is seeking to do in your occupation? The second thing we see is that work is honorable. And we see that in, in verse 15 of, of Genesis 2, that, that work was not the result of sin. Now, the toil, the sweat, the difficulty came as God's judgment on man, that by the sweat of your brow you will work and bring forth the fruit. But, but the work was assigned before the fall. And what we have to understand is we can embrace work to do God's will and for the glory of God. And it's important we teach our children that that we teach them a good work ethic, and they learn by example. The third thing that we see, though, is a legitimate and honest work can and should be done for the glory of God. That Ephesians 6, 6 says, doing the will of God from your heart. That, that we need to strive to do whatever we do for the glory of God. And, and, and this is part of the Protestant work ethic that rose out of the Reformation. That, that one of the solas, the five solas of the Protestant Reformation was sole de, deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. And they applied that to we're working to bring glory to God. That it's not that we're working that somehow our good deeds will merit salvation. No, the other solas were that it is, it, that it is by Christ alone, it's through faith alone, it's by God's grace alone. 
that salvation is not of works, lest anyone should boast. So when you hear what I'm saying this morning, if you hear, are here and have never trusted Jesus Christ, we're not talking about how you can earn favor with God. We're talking about how we can glorify God. But the only way you can truly be saved is the finished work of Christ alone. He worked, so you don't have to. He lived a perfect, sinless, holy life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And it is by grace alone, it is through faith alone, it is in Christ alone that we have everlasting life. And understanding this is important because recognizing that legitimate work can be done by, for the glory of God. Our culture tends to see work as a necessary evil. You know, how do I do this so I can get to the weekend or do what I want? They, they find ways to avoid it. As Christians, we ought to be finding ways to serve the Lord faithfully and seeking to live for His glory. That, that understanding our work was to benefit individuals and glorify God. Love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor. And so we work in such a way as to, to benefit that. I mean, to, to live for the glory of God, to work for the glory of God is a much higher standard than just is this job legal or does it pay well? Can I serve Lord, the Lord in this place? And then the fourth thing is that a worthy walk in the Lord, will, we, will exer- or we will evaluate our work in light of eternity. I said before that your job is what you're paid to do, your calling is what you're made to do. You can do that calling in the job you have, but we have to understand that God is our supervisor. You know, if we view work as only from the world's perspective, then it tends to bring a sense of frustration, a, a sense of emptiness. This is, this is what is, we read in Ecclesiastes 2.11. Then I looked at all the works that my hands had done and the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed it was all vanity and grasping for the wind. There's no profit under the sun. The, the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes said, all of my work was like chasing the wind because it didn't truly satisfy. When you seek your identity in, in that area rather than in God, there's an emptiness. And so he comes to the end of the letter, or the end of Ecclesiastes, the book, and it says in chapter 12, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for God will bring every work into judgment, including the secret thing. So evaluate your work in the light of eternity. It says in 1 Peter 1.17, the Father judges without partiality according to each one's work, so conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear. I like what William Carey said. He was asked uh, what he did, and he said, well, my business is serving the Lord, but I make shoes to cover expenses. He sought to make shoes for the glory of God. And understand, you will be rewarded when you serve the Lord because He's not unjust to forget your labor of love. So how do we apply that then? And what I want us to see, first of all, from Ephesians chapter 6, is God's wisdom, the biblical wisdom for servants. We see that in verses 5 through 8. Now, now let me say, just as introduction to this section, we read the word there, bondservants. The Greek word is doulos. It speaks of somebody who was subservient to another, and in that context, it would speak of a slave. It was estimated that in the Roman Empire that one-third to one-half of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves at some point. They could go into slavery, they could get out of slavery, there were various aspects. And so in the church at Ephesus, there were, obviously, there were Christian slaves and Christian masters. 
And, and we see that being addressed. And, and, I, and I say this because while salvation did not change their social standing, it did change their standing in the church. There were, they were brothers and sisters in Christ, neither bond nor free within the church. The Bible focuses on the big eternal picture before God. The slavery of the Roman Empire was not what we're most familiar with that took place in our nation and that blot on our history that was racially based. Some people could sell themselves into slavery to pay their bills. They could earn their slavery. There, there were slaves that were smarter than their employers. They were actually there to teach their children. They were given oversight. But understand that, that the Bible is looking at dealing with sinful oppression by changing the heart. The sinful oppression is not God's plan for any person. Whether that be in the workplace, whether it be in marriage, whether it be in a family. And the problem is that we are sinful and selfish people. And without a change of heart, sinful people will always find a way to oppress other people. And so what you see in Scripture is that the ultimate change came as salvation came and the heart was regenerated. The biblical approach is not social justice, it's soul justification. It's regeneration, not revolution. But when there's regeneration, there really brings a change in society. And so it was, it was really Christians that led the charge in doing away with slavery. Preachers like Charles Wesley and, and statesmen like Wilberforce and Pitt that led the charge. And if you read, want to read the biblical approach, read Paul's letter to, to Philemon when he returns a runaway slave named Onesimus. And Paul doesn't say you have to set him free, but he says, do what you would do for me. And he really gets to the heart of the issue rather than a checkbox. Because if the heart doesn't change, there's always going to be problems. And if anyone had a reason not to serve well, it would be a slave. So what we read here in Ephesians is being addressed to slaves who, who they've got nothing to gain except that they're working under the supervision of God. So what can we learn from this passage? If it applies to slaves, it should, certain, it should, should certainly apply to employees. The first thing we see is your attitude in how you work should glorify God. Paul's talking to spirit-filled believers and what that should mean. And we see that in verses 5 through 8 as he's laying out this. And I'm not going to reread these, but I want you to see it because there's a very similar passage of instruction that is given to the church at Colossae. In Colossians 2, or 3, verses 22, it says this, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. When you put these two passages together, you get a list of ways that a, a person is supposed to work. And when you look at the Ephesians passage, and I've added in statements from the Colossians passage, and you can see that highlighted on the slide, we have a list of how to serve in biblical wisdom. The first thing we see is the word of work obediently. It says, be obedient. It's the same word that's in Ephesians 6 verse 1. And it's the idea of listening with the goal to obey. 
It, the Greek form means it's an ongoing command that requires personal action. And so we talked about that with getting children to obey. Well, in the workplace, do we tune in? Now, obviously, there are limits to obedience of earthly authority. You cannot obey an immoral directive. The Hebrew midwives in Exodus 1 refused to kill the male babies when they were born, even though the king commanded it. And God rewarded them and blessed them for what they did. We cannot obey immoral directives or idolatrous directives, as you see in, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But as a, employees, a person should be attentive to the voice of their supervisor and seek to do what they ask. And not just to nice bosses. 1 Peter 2.18 says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to good and gentle, but also to the harsh. So the idea of being obedient. Secondly, work completely. It says in Colossians, in all things. Giving attention to details. Young people, students, if you're in class, this would apply to how you do your work. Do your assignments. Finish the, the class. Do the, write the paper. Do it completely. You're learning in the classroom. You know, we, we hear the phrase in our culture, good enough for government work. It's, it's used derogatorily, though that wasn't how it began. But no Christian should operate that way. We should ask, is it good enough for God's work? Because if he's my supervisor, I'm working to please him. So we do the best we can with the time we have for the glory of God. The third thing is to work respectfully in fear and trembling. These words speak of an attitude that we're recognizing the position of authority, that, that there is a place of respect. That the person holding that position may not be the one who deserves it, but we respect them because of their position. Again, I think our military give a great example of this. The, the respect and salute that they will give to, to one of those that would be an officer, even though that person may not be the person who deserves that. But they recognize their position and they do it. Well, we're to do that with the right heart. It says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 1, as many, let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of honor. Well, why would they do that? The verse goes on and says, so that the name of God and his doctrine will not be blasphemed. Those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because of those who benefited our believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. So whether you have an unsaved employer or a saved employer, we're to serve for the glory of God. And obey, obey in such a way as not to misrepresent our true master. So then the fourth one is work sincerely, in sincerity of heart. You know, have you ever walked into a business and you're looking for a part or you're looking for somebody to help you and, and you just can't find anybody? And finally, you find the employees talking and you say, excuse me, and, and it's like you're interrupting them. Or they're on their phone and it's like, well, what do you want? It's like, well, excuse me, I think I'm the customer and I think you're being paid to help me. And, and what, do you, what do you know? Their heart's not in it. Is your heart in your work? That's what it says, in sincerity of heart. We wholeheartedly serve, not because we love our job, but because we love our Lord. And we're doing it for the glory of God. So how would you work if Jesus was watching? Because he is. So the fifth one is we work dependably, not 
with eye service as men pleasers. Don't just work when the boss is around. Students, don't just behave when the teacher's in the room. You're a man pleaser. And who are you really trying to please? You. Are you trying to please God? You know, God does supervise. I, I remember in high school and taking high school PE and being in the gym and they would have you doing exercises and you'd be lined up in rows and then you'd get down and do push-ups and the coach would be you know, up, down, up, down. And he would walk down the row and when his back was turned, certain people would quit doing the push-ups. It was just up or just down until he turned around and then they were back. They were doing eye service. Do we understand that in the church at Ephesus, slaves had even a greater reason to just serve when the master was around? Because what's in it for them? They're not actually getting paid. They're not going to get promoted except that they can glorify God. So we need to understand if we need constant supervision, human supervision, we don't understand God is our supervisor. I heard many times in college, the greatest ability is dependability. Is someone counting on you? Are you dependable? Well, something came up. Who's your real supervisor? Is God calling the shots or are you? Do we sacrifice for the glory of God even when when it's not most conducive for us? Number six is we work enthusiastically. Do it heartily or goodwill is the word that's mentioned in Ephesians. Colossians says heartily. It's, It's with cheerfulness that we would strive to be a pleasant employee. And if your identity is in your job, you're going to struggle because you're going to be like the the preacher in Ecclesiastes. It's vanity. I'm chasing the wind. But if your identity is in Christ, then he brings true satisfaction. Do you work hard? Or would you fall into the category of the 75% in the book, The Day America Told the Truth, that don't give their best? Are you zealous for good work? I mean, with all his faults, one of the things that we're going to find about Simon the Zealot was he was zealous. It's in his very name. You know, when, when our kids were young, we were driving one day and we passed a dead animal on the road and I, they were young and I was really trying to encourage them to do their best in school. And I made the comment, I said, you know, if you don't graduate from high school, you may get a job where you're having to pick up the, the roadkill. And one of my sons said, you know, he might like that job. <laughs> And it was one of my sons. Caitlin's definitely off the hook on that one. <laughs> now, he missed my point, but the truth is that, was, that is a valuable job. You can do that to the glory of God. It's a job that benefits society, that you could do. Now, my, my goal was to try to motivate for academic industry. <laughs> but we can do whatever job to the glory of God. But the seventh thing we see is we have to work humbly as a bondservant of Christ. Notice who we truly serve. Years ago, when, when, I, was out of, when I graduated from college, I, I had the opportunity of traveling with the, the Wilds evangelistic team for a year, the Wilds camp in North Carolina. And, and we spent all summer there preparing, preparing music that we would go into different churches that fall and spring and, and do a week-long group of meetings. We would do all the special music. And, and so as we... As we got better, as we got songs ready, we would perform, we would do these songs in the services for the camp. 
And so we would do special music for six, seven hundred campers, sponsors, and staff So as we were getting ready. But they also gave us other responsibilities while we were at camp. One of our tasks was we had to sweep and reset the chairs in the activity service center where the services were being held. And campers and metal chairs on concrete floors get messed up really quickly. And so we, we had to sweep it every day and then reset all the chairs every day. And, and we, we got into a routine where that could go quickly, but that wasn't the only job they gave us. The other task that was assigned to us was cleaning certain camper bathrooms every day. Campers and good hygiene are not words that normally show up in the same sentence. <laughs> and that was our job. And you know, I look back and, say, and think, there was great wisdom in what they had us doing. I've never forgotten the lessons I learned. That whether we're doing special music in an evening service for 700 people or cleaning bathrooms for campers, we can do both for the glory of God. And the truth is, if you can't clean bathrooms for the glory of God, you're probably not going to do the other for the glory of God either. Because we're not working humbly. The eighth one is work spiritually. As to the Lord. Notice this over and over in this passage. Verse 5 says, as to Christ. Verse 6, bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God. Verse 7, as to the Lord and not unto to men. Goes on to say that we will receive the reward from the Lord. And so the, the focus was we're to serve God. It says in 1 Corinthians verse seven, or seven, chapter 7, verse 20, let each one remain in the same calling with which he is called. Were you called well a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you have been made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. Likewise, he who is called while free is the Lord's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves to men. Said, so work under the gaze of God. He's your supervisor. Do your job like you would to please Christ. That's what it means by heart motivation. This is what we find in this passage. But the second, I think the second aspect then is the, your application of these verses should advance the cause of Christ. It ought to advance the gospel. Let me just say, number one, you cannot be lazy and be a godly employee. No one ever has been both faithful to God and lazy. And understanding, Scripture has a lot to say about that. People are not inclined to listen to the testimony of a Christian who does shoddy, careless work and complains all the time. And employee, an employer isn't predisposed to listen to an employee who, who expects full pay but doesn't give full work. Gives half-hearted work but expects full pay. So do you have the reputation of being a hard worker? Would your employer hate to lose you due to your work ethic or just because it's really hard to find people today? Secondly, Christians ought to be the best workers in attitude, dependability, and integrity. Because we have a different supervisor. Now, we may not be as qualified, as skilled as somebody else, but all else being equal, our attitude, dependability, and integrity ought to excel an unsafe person. Because what are they working for? And who should we be serving? You know, in our day and age, if you show up for work on time with a good attitude, you're probably going to advance. Many businesses can't even find people to show up. Now, one of the, the theme for this month for Tri-City Christian Academy is walk in integrity. Integrity means giving an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. pay. 
You know, there are people who'd be ticked off if their employer shorted them on payday, but they have no problem shorting their employer. You know, we, we need to make sure that we're living in such a way that we're showing integrity and dependability. And the third thing is every Christian is called to be involved in God's work in some way. No, not every Christian is called to be in full-time vocational Christian service, but wherever you are in your vocation, you're to serve the Lord. No Christian is here on earth just to hang out. That's not why God's left us here. I'm still getting your place ready. Just hang out there for a while. No, we're here because we have a task. And that changes as we, at different stages of life. And, And we may not be employed. We can retire, but we ought to still be serving God wherever. So our work ethic has to be influenced by the word of God, not by the world. And then the last part of this deals with the biblical wisdom for overseers. There's one verse, verse 9. And and it really encapsulates some of the same things. Masters, do the same thing. And give up threatening, knowing that you have a master. The first thing that we see is that masters are told to be respectful. Do the same things to them. Treat your slaves in that culture, employees in our culture, in a way that will please the Lord because they're made in the image of God. In the Roman Empire, slaves were considered articulate farm instruments. They had three categories. You had the the inarticulate, those were the animals. The inanimate, those were the tools. And slaves were articulate instruments. Well, Christian masters need, need to understand that they're to treat their slaves or in our culture, employees, as people made in the image of God, not as tools. And unfortunately, I've seen that in Christian institutions or with Christian owners of companies where they, they wear out their employees. No, we need to understand the dignity of, of people because they're made in the image of God. So be respectful. Secondly, be reasonable. Give up threatening. Can you imagine being a slave in the Roman Empire and how the threats that the master could use to control and oppress, the verbal abuse, the physical threats, the emotional manipulation? Well, you know, if you don't do this job, I'm going to sell you, but I'm keeping your family. Or I'm going to sell your family and I'm keeping you. Imagine the emotional threat of that. And the Bible says, quit threatening. I've said before that those types of things, the use of physical threats or verbal or emotional abuse, are not coming from a spirit-filled, spirit-controlled person. Uh, God sides with the one who is oppressed, not with oppressors. And we talked about that in marriage. The same is true in parenting, and it's true in the workplace. And I stress this, not to put guilt on people who may have covered, but to say you have freedom because you don't honor somebody by letting their sin be covered. It's okay to tell others because that kind of attitude thrives in darkness. But what is being told is show a genuine concern and walk in integrity that gives up threatening, that's reasonable, that shows respect, and then the third one is be responsible. Knowing your own master... And that's what you see at the end of of verse 9, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there's no partiality. And and the word partiality means to accept face. That's the literal meaning of the Greek word. The idea would be that no partiality would be that the 
person doesn't have to see who it is in order to make a decision because they're consistent. That God doesn't have to look up to see who it is before he decides what he's going to do. One of the things we challenged Mark on in his, his ordination council is he was, we got into some of the practical areas of ministry and areas he's going to be dealing with in the military and having to, to make decisions and give guidance. And we said, Mark, you need to settle these issues biblically by principle before you have somebody in front of you. Because otherwise it's easy to make it personal rather than principled. The no partiality is God acts by principle of his glory, of his holiness, that he is just. Make decisions under God's supervision. Now, I, I wonder, in preparation of her today, I mentioned that I, I was curious what the job satisfaction rate was. They mentioned that people are often satisfied if, if there's a very good income or if there's meaning to what they're doing. And what was interesting is they listed the occupations that have the most satisfaction, over 90%. Number one was clergy. Number two was English language teachers and literature teachers. But what are their students' satisfaction rate? <laughs> Number three was surgeons. Another one was elementary ed administrators, kindergarten teachers, and then nurses and various medical doctors. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Because it's not because they're not dealing with problems, but there's a view of helping and advancing a cause. Folks, that can apply to every one of us, though, as Christians when we're working for the glory of God. When we're doing our job to bring God glory, what is it that brings satisfaction? Is it really money? Well, there's eternity still. I mean, do we work for money or ministry? Are we mercenaries or missionaries? In the workplace, that I want to glorify God by being an employee that brings honor to God. So the question for all of us is, is God honored and the gospel advanced by your work ethic? Understand that God is your supervisor. We can live for his glory. We work not to earn merit, but that he would receive the glory, that by our good works, others would see these good works and give glory to our Father. But if you're here without Christ, you need to trust the finished work of Christ alone for your salvation. Let's look to the Lord.